Hello and welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. It's me, Michael Schaefer. Today we're going to be talking about some big issues happening right now. In Victoria, Daniel Andrews has announced that the state will no longer be hosting the 2026 Commonwealth Games. Is it good news? Is it bad news? Do we need the Commonwealth Games? What purpose do they serve? I think they just exist so that Australians can win gold when Russia, China and the US can't compete. I think that's their main purpose. Meanwhile, over in Netherlands, a trans woman has won Miss Netherlands. Is this a win for progressives or is this just another example of how embarrassing it is that a huge win for trans women is them proving that they can also be sexually objectified in a beauty pageant? Also, Big W, big chain in Australia, has come under fire because they're stocking a book that apparently teaches children about sex. And parents are livid, and by parents I mean three people on Twitter are livid, and it's become a big story. Should these books be banned, or should we instead just be encouraging children to do their own research? Google 69ing, Google uh, Two Girls, One Cup, and that way they can give themselves the proper education they need. Guys, we've got some shows coming up in the Edinburgh Fringe, London, Zurich. I know I've got a lot of followers in Zurich. Zurich. There's a show there on the 22nd of September. No, it's not a tax write-off, ATO, if you're listening. I'm there for work. It's certainly not a weekend getaway with my lovely wife. And I'm doing a show just so I can write off the hotel and flights. Of course, that's not it. Don't be cynical. Got a show in Zurich. Then I'll be back in Australia. Got shows around Victoria. The Commonwealth Games might not be happening there, but tell you what, I won't be cancelling. I got a show in Melbourne, Frankston, Narry Warren, all the big places. Head to my website, michaelshafer.com for the details. Guys, we've come to the best part of the podcast. I'm now going to play for you the intro music. It goes for about 30 seconds. I think it's pretty good, but if you don't like it, you've got that button on your phone. You can skip forward 30 seconds, but I reckon enjoy it because I spent 200 Australian dollars to get this made and I want to get my money's worth. So I hope you enjoy the next 30 seconds. I'll see you back shortly with the news. We are stripped down and ready to go. I'll never surrender. But I ain't spending any time on it. Please explain. I'm going to. Okay? Welcome back. I hope you got a kick out of that intro music. So Victoria is no longer going to be hosting the Commonwealth Games in 2026. Dan Andrews has said, no, it's going to be too expensive to host. He said, it's going to cost about $6 billion to put it on. And even though we said we were going to do that, uh, we're not doing that anymore because that was when petrol was uh, not $1.89 and Russia had not yet invaded Ukraine. It's kind of messed up our finances. So we're not going to be putting on this big event in regional Victoria 
which is a shame because not much happens in regional Victoria. And I do love regional Victoria. I always drive through there on my way to big cities that are better. I do love regional Victoria. I think it's great. There are, look, there's not much going on. There's some things going on. Sometimes you'll pass through a town and you'll pass through uh, the town strip and there's a bakery there and it says, welcome to this town and this is a bakery. And did you know that it was voted to have the third best vanilla slice in uh, Southwest Victoria in 2003? And that's the big draw card. And I think that's great. That's a nice draw card to have. It's good to have a solid vanilla slice that you haven't changed the recipe of in 20 years. I think if it's good, don't fix it. My point being that outside of the vanilla slices and outside of the sausage rolls and outside of the meat pies, there's not heaps going on in regional Victoria. I mean, there's a lot of suicide, but that's not exactly a, uh, a tourist attraction. My point being is that the Commonwealth Games were going to be this big tourist attraction for regional Victoria. They were going to give people in Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo, something to look forward to, something exciting. However, their hopes and dreams have been dashed by Dan Andrews, who's decided that it will be too expensive. Now, I don't know who's doing the maths on these things, who's, who's calculating how expensive these events are going to be. I will say this. Did they take into the accounts the amount of uh, medals we win at the Commonwealth Games? Because, and I've talked about this in my stand-up shows before, I really do believe that the main reason that Australia remains in the Commonwealth is because we want to be in the Commonwealth Games. Now, I know that there are countries who are in the Commonwealth Games who are no longer in the Commonwealth. I know that exists, but I don't think Australians know that because I think we're dumb. And so we're thinking, okay, well, if we want to stay in the Commonwealth Games where we dominate, let's be honest, we absolutely dominate, we have to make sure that we stay in the Commonwealth and we can't become a republic because we do love the gold, silver and bronze that fills our coffers every four years at the Commonwealth Games. We do. It could be the one thing propping up the economy. I think we get more gold, silver, and bronze from the Commonwealth Games every four years than we do from mining. I think that's just a true fact about our economy. We are completely dependent upon it. So I really hope that Dan Andrews has taken that into account. The amount of money that will be lost in precious metals as a result of the game's potentially not going ahead at all. It does raise the question, why do we still have the Commonwealth Games in 2023? They are truly a bizarre event to hold when you know that we have the Olympics as well. So, of course, the Olympics is the main draw card for athletes and for viewers because every country in the world gets to compete, except for maybe Russia. I'm not sure what happens. I think Russia often doesn't get allowed into the Olympics. Previously, they haven't been allowed into the Olympics because, remember, they were uh, doping. They were uh, injecting hormones into all, the, all their women and all their female weightlifters had um, beards and testicles. And as a result, the uh, IOC said, uh, no, Russia, you can't be uh, injecting EPO into your uh, gymnasts from the age of three. We think that gives them an unfair competitive advantage. And so as a result, Russia got banned from the Olympics. However, their athletes were still permitted to compete just under a neutral flag. So they just got like a flag that still had like red, white 
and blue colors on it. So it still kind of reflected the Russian flag. However, they were technically not representing Russia. I'll tell you what, though, I'm pretty sure the Russians knew that they were representing Russia. Anyway, so Russia has uh, been kicked out of the Olympics for that reason. I suspect in the upcoming Olympics, they're going to have a tough time getting in as well, just because of the whole, you know, invasion of Ukraine, invasion of a sovereign country, uh, war crimey stuff. All of those things, I think, are going to count against them. So I think just between the EPO being injected into the testicles of their female weightlifters and the killing of Ukrainian citizens, they're going to find it hard to compete in the Olympics. However, pretty much every country does get to compete in the Olympics, and that's why it's such a prestigious event. Because, you know, you can say, well, if you win that, you're like the fastest person. If you, if you win the 100 meters at the Olympics, you are the fastest person in the world. Pretty, you can't really dispute that. I mean, if you win the 100 meters in the Commonwealth Games, you're the fastest person in some part of the world that is loosely connected by this connection to the British Empire because you just happen to be representing a country that was uh, kind of uh, economically placed for the British slave trade back in the 17th and 18th century. And as a result, you're a colony of the British Empire and now, for some reason, King Charles is your head of state and for some reason you have to stand up and salute the king at the coronation my point being is that the commonwealth games is a very arbitrary uh random collection of countries i'm not sure why we still have it i know why australia likes it i know why we like it because we need it to prop up the economy once every four years once every four years we need to watch our swimmers just absolutely lap someone from Botswana in a 200 meter freestyle. I mean, that's why we love it, but I just don't see how it has any real relevance in today's sporting culture when you do have the Olympics. I do think that if you wanted to give the Commonwealth Games a bit more legitimacy, then I think you would allow the countries whose who are, whose GDPs are quite low, you know, the countries that are, you know, either the developing or third world, you would allow the athletes from those countries in particular to take drugs. Because Australia, for example, has a huge advantage because we are a wealthy, privileged nation. We have the AIS, we have the Australian Institute of Sport that's well-funded, that has the ability to build swimming pools and basketball courts and tennis courts and running tracks, etc., etc. So we have the ability and the privilege and the disposable income to invest in our athletes so that when they turn up to international sporting events, they're not embarrassed on the world stage. We have that privilege as a very, as a pretty financially, economically sound country. Now, of course, there are countries that are not in that state. There are countries that are still reeling from the effects of colonization only a couple of generations ago. There are countries that are still reeling from famine or war. These things are still happening these days. Now, it's pretty hard to be a good athlete, for example, I don't know, from like a Central African nation. It's pretty hard to be a good swimmer, for example, if you come from Chad, and you don't have any swimming pools in the entire country. As a result, you're going to be kind of disadvantaged 
when you turn up at the Commonwealth Games or at the Olympics, I'm not sure if Chad is in the Commonwealth Games for the purpose of this argument, let's presume they are. You're going to be disadvantaged when you turn up at one of those events and all of a sudden you're jumping into a pool for the first time and you thought it was going to be 1.2 meters. Instead, it's you know 2.1 meters. You're drowning. You're flailing because you're only used to the shallow end. Meanwhile, you've got uh, these Olympic athletes. You've got Michael Phelps next to you. I, mean, can't, I can't think of a more modern swimmer, but you've got a Kyle Chalmers, the Australian dude who's you know, breaking 100-meter world records. You got him just like zooming past you like he's a goddamn submarine. My point being is that these people from these countries are doing their utmost, their utmost best. They're doing their best and they're, they've gone out to Bendigo or Ballarat or Geelong to compete in the 2026 Commonwealth Games, presuming they continue. They've gone out to these regional towns to get a vanilla slice and while they're waiting in line for their vanilla slice, someone comes up to them and says, hey, I see you're competing against... An, a world champion tomorrow in the pool. I'm also aware that you have never uh, been able to train in a pool because your country is sadly very poor and has been ravaged by famine and war and disease and the remnants of colonization that still persists today. How about this? Let's put some EPO, some steroids, the, the Lance Armstrong cocktail. Let's put that into this vanilla slice, pop that down your gullet, and let's make tomorrow's race competitive. That's my view on the Commonwealth Games. If you want to make them legitimate, if you want to make them watchable, you have to start giving drugs to the athletes from the poor countries to make it more fun. Because I tell you what, if we knew that these poor countries' athletes were on drugs and it was permitted, tell you what, the eyeballs on those events would be bloody huge. People would be tuning in from all over the world. People from non-Commonwealth countries will be tuning in to see how fast can someone from Trinidad and Tobago run when they are on every potential drug available to them. Everyone in the world would tune in and that would generate more revenue for Dan Andrews and Victoria and then you could guarantee that the event would go ahead. So I just think this solves a number of issues that the Commonwealth Games faces. It makes things more equal. When it does that, it makes it more fun to watch. And that brings in more money so that these regional towns in bumfuck nowhere in the middle of Victoria, God bless you all, have something to look forward to outside of this year's Vanilla Slice competition. Now, I will say this, the way that this is being covered by the media, the decision to uh, not host Commonwealth Games Victoria, it's being covered by the media in the most expected way possible. So... You've got the left-wing media, the sycophants of Daniel Andrews, who are just like, yep, this is great. They're basically just uh, retweeting his press release and saying, yeah, this is fantastic. You know, we're pulling out of this event. We're going to save some money and we're going to use that money to build more hospitals and pay nurses a living wage, etc., etc." Literally just copy and pasting the Dan Andrews press conference because... They have no critical thought and they do not want to lose their left-wing uh, base. And I understand that's how the media works. You need to appeal to your base. But it does mean that we have this ridiculous schism and how it's being reported. So you've got the left-wing saying, yep, this is great. Good on you, uh, Daddy Dan. We love you and thank you for looking out for us and cancelling uh, and, and breaking this contract that's probably going to cost the state heaps of money anyway. And then you've got the right-wing media 
who of course are wheeling out the Chairman Dan, a Dictator Dan narrative. They're saying, look at this autocrat. He has come in and swooped out of nowhere and decided to cancel a beloved international competition. The Commonwealth Games, the most important uh, event on the sporting calendar outside of the Olympics and the World Championships and the World Cup and probably, you know, the AFL Grand Final. But outside of all those things, we love the bloody Commonwealth Games and how dare a dictator Dan, Dan Andrews, Kim Jong Dan, how dare he use his veto power or whatever it is to cancel this event. So you got this ridiculous, uh, no one is just reporting this down the middle the way that I am. You're not going to hear any centrist positions on this topic the way you will on this podcast. This podcast thinks that we should be persisting with the Commonwealth Games and giving the athletes from poor countries drugs. That is the centrist position on the topic. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. You cannot trust the left-wing media. You cannot trust the right-wing media. You can only trust me. I will say this as well. The right-wing media are very upset about... Well, they're pretending to be upset because it allows them to score points in their vendetta against Dan Andrews. Fair enough. That's how the media works. But I will say this. One issue that we always face in Australia when we host an event like the Olympics in Sydney 2000 or the Commonwealth Games, which we've hosted before, most recently on the Gold Coast, is that it does attract a lot of foreign people to our country. Now, Australians are not great with foreigners, uh, but especially the ones that come here by boat, but even the ones that come here, you know, through the the legal internationally renowned methods or, or just even ones who just pay and they just get on a plane and they fly here, whatever. We're even not very nice to them. And you can often see when us not being nice to them when our footage of them being racially abused on public transport goes viral on the internet once every few days. My point is, the right-wing media, they hate foreigners. And so I would have thought they're cancelling an event that would attract foreigners to the country would actually be right up their alley. Because previously, when we have uh, hosted these events... What has happened is that a lot of these uh, athletes who are coming in from war-torn countries, countries that, I, like I said, are facing famine and uh, they're facing starvation and disease and as a lot of them are being persecuted as well. A lot of these athletes have come to Australia. They have decided to uh, overstay their visa and then they don't go home to their home countries and then they apply uh, as refugees to remain in Australia. That happened, it's happened before. I remember it happened with uh, some athletes from Sierra Leone. I think it was after the 2000 Sydney Olympics. It happens though every single time Australia hosts an international sporting event. So if you're like one of these right-wing conservatives who wants to shut the borders and hates foreigners, you should be thrilled by this decision to cancel the event. I mean, un- I mean, unless they're thinking maybe we can still host the Commonwealth Games just outside of Australia. Maybe we can host some games on uh, Manus Island, Nauru, Christmas Island. Maybe we can host some events there so that if any of these foreigners decide to overstay their visa, decide to seek refugee status, they're already kind of in a detention center anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I wonder if that has been suggested to the right-wing pundits at news.com.au. Other big sporting news this week was uh, the Wimbledon final. It was nice to see someone outside of uh, Novak Djokovic, that goddamn anti-vaxxer, winning something. 
So uh, Alcaraz, the uh, Spanish dude, won the final. Now, I was fortunate enough to be able to watch it in London. So I got to watch it on London time. It was an absolute treat. It's probably my first time watching a Wimbledon final from beginning to end because I didn't have to stay up until 4 a.m. to catch the fifth set, which is what many Australians did do because they love their tennis. Of course, it does mean that they have to go to work on a Monday morning very, very, very tired to the point where they're basically hung over. Now, this is why the, the reason why I bring it up is because I have a solution to the Australia Day debate. We should move Australia Day from Jan 26, which of course we know is a very controversial date to have Australia Day. We should move it from Jan 26 to the day after the Wimbledon final. And I think that's just such a great solution because it's a very practical date to have it because it means that everyone gets to stay up and watch you know, the final, the Wimbledon final, which often goes to five sets. And often you can't justify away staying up until 4 a.m. knowing it's going to ruin you the next day. But if you know that the next day is a public holiday, what a treat it would be to stay up and watch the Wimbledon final, particularly when you've got guys like Kyrgios and Alex Demenor actually being good. One of them might actually be in a Wimbledon final uh, in the near future. I know Kyrgios, Kyrgios is obviously there. Was it last year or the year before? But point is, there's a good chance we're going to have an Aussie in the Wimbledon final. And I think that giving Australians the opportunity to watch it fully and then sleep in the next day is something that everyone in the country can get behind. I know that there are lots of Australia Day debates that are divisive, but I think this one could actually unite the country. Side note, if you were watching the Wimbledon final, you'll notice that uh, how much the uh, British media love zooming in on a celebrity in the crowd. And the one celebrity that I kept going back to was Brad Pitt, who I've never seen look better. The man is 59 years old, and he looks incredible. You just have to wonder, what is the, what's the regime that he is on? How many uh, children is he uh, consuming each week? How much blood of babies is he bathing in? to get his skin so smooth and moist. This is why Hollywood is so fake. And I know it's not an exciting thing or a, a groundbreaking statement to say that Hollywood is fake. But, you know, you see all of those um, magazines that will be like, oh, this is how this celebrity lost weight. This is how this celebrity keeps their wrinkles away. Uh, none of it's true because they'll always say, oh, I do a bit of Botox or I just kind of eat, I, I, I do intermittent fasting. That's what all these, uh, these celebrities will say. But the reality is that they are doing some horrifically evil stuff that is keeping them looking wonderful. Like the fountain of youth is almost certainly illegal, but of course they're not going to print that in Women's Day and say that Brad Pitt managed to get his skin looking toned and unblemished by eating children. But if you saw him at Wimbledon, you could only arrive at that conclusion. Other big news coming out of Europe this week. Netherlands has just had their Miss Netherlands beauty pageant. And for the first time ever, it was won by a trans woman. Now, before I get into this topic and before I show you my thoughts on this, let me just say this about the Dutch. 
they are not as progressive as you think. Everyone thinks that Dutch people are progressive because, of course, if you go to Amsterdam, you know, weed and a lot of drugs are legal. And on top of that, you know, uh, sex work is legal in a lot of these places. So if you go to the Netherlands and you spend a weekend in Amsterdam, you'll go there thinking, oh, these people love to suck and fuck and smoke. What a progressive group of people. However, that's not actually true. It's not true at all. The Dutch people are not progressive at all. It's just that they have these policies that are basically mostly there to kind of attract tourism. You know, so the people who are going to the people who are doing drugs in the Netherlands and who are going to the red light district in Amsterdam and paying 20 euros for a, a sock and fock, as I was offered, the, the people doing that are not the locals, it's the tourists. So first of all, the policies that you're thinking of that would suggest the Dutch are progressive are charades. They're just tourism attractions. That's the first thing I would say about it. In fact, the Dutch are very, very uh, kind of conservative. I, I did some comedy in Amsterdam the other week, bombed so hard. Because uh, maybe, look, I could just be bad at comedy. But what I think is the problem is that Dutch people are very white, uh, very conservative, and uh, also, I think, probably racist. So when I was doing jokes about race and gender, etc., etc., uh, it really uh, didn't go well to a Dutch group. So I guess my point is I'm approaching this topic with this view that Dutch people are awful and we should, they should not be trusted. Which brings us to the Miss Netherlands uh, beauty pageant. So, for the first time ever, it was won by a trans woman. And I think this is just more PR bullshit from the Netherlands pretending to be progressive when in reality they're not. Now, before I continue, if you've listened to my podcast before, if you've seen any of my stand-up comedy before, you'll know that I'm very, very supportive of the trans community. I'm very, very supportive of the LGBTQI plus community. I think that they, of course, deserve equality, and I'm all behind you guys. Good on you. I, I don't hope that. Hopefully, guys is not a gender term. I use it as a gender neutral term. My point is, big fan of the LGBTQI plus community. I'm concerned that a trans woman winning this beauty pageantry is not the victory for the trans community that the Dutch would want us to think it is. Because sure, it's great that you know they're allowing trans women to compete in the Miss Netherlands competition. I think that's fantastic. That is great on paper. On paper, that looks good. But think about it from this perspective. What we're really saying to trans women is, hey, this is so good. You are so equal now that you too can be sexually objectified, just like cis women. Is that really the progress that we want for the trans movement? Is this really the victory they were after? I mean, I just think it's bizarre that this is considered a victory when literally we're still just reducing trans women down to their physical appearance and judging them purely on their aesthetic. I just think that's what a beauty pageant is. A beauty pageant is not progressive. Remember, beauty pageants were basically invented by Donald Trump so that he could molest teenage girls. That's why they exist. And so then to say, oh, well, this is fantastic. It's now being used to promote trans rights. I just don't think it is because they're still just being sexually objectified and treated awfully. It's kind of like saying, oh, we don't want, you know, we want trans women to 
be able to walk into uh, a woman's bathroom and we also want them to be able to walk into a Hooters and get a job. Like that's kind of what they're saying with this victory. They're basically saying like, oh, we want trans women to be treated just the same as cis women and that's why we are working towards paying trans women 82 cents on the dollar. I just don't think that all of the aspects of being a woman are actually fantastic because a lot of the times women have it harder than men in so many constructs, whether it's the work, whether it's walking down the street at night and feeling unsafe. There are so many examples of women having it rougher than men. And now we're imposing this sexual objectification on trans women as well. I don't think it's a victory that progressives will lead us to believe. And really the point that I'm getting at here is do not trust the Dutch. Last thing I want to talk about today is Big W. That's the big department store that sells lots of stuff. I bought a, a neck pillow from there recently. They sell chocolates. They sell neck pillows. They also sell sex books, according to news.com.au. So I'm going to read you this article from news.com, which we know is just uh, News Corp trying to... Uh, just stir up outrage amongst uh, its readership. But it caught my eye this week. It's about how parents are apparently uh, exposing their children to uh, sex. And you, that's bad because, you know, drag queens are bad and sex is bad and uh, LGBT is bad. And well, that's kind of the narrative that they're pushing here. So this is the article. Let's read through it. I'll give you my thoughts as we go through it. Disgruntled parents have raised concern about a graphic sex book targeted at children as young as eight being sold at Big W. Dr. Melissa Kang and Yumi Stein's book, Welcome to Sex, your no-silly-questions guide to sexuality, pleasure, and figuring it out, is billed as frank, age-appropriate introductory guide to sex and sexuality for teens of all genders. i got to say, Welcome to Sex is a terrible name for a book about sex. It's, imagine you were about to have sex with someone and they said to you, welcome to sex. Because I tell you what, that would be the worst foreplay. That would be the worst dirty talk. You'd lose, I would lose my erection very, very far. If someone said, welcome to sex, I would be like, goodbye, have a nice day. The article continues, but the Woolworths-owned department store has come under fire. I like how they mention that Big W is owned by Woolworths, basically saying, shop at Coles, they won't try to groom your kids. You won't, your kids won't get fucked at Coles. Woolworths-owned department store has come under fire after an Instagram video from podcast host Chris Primod showed some of the book's pages, uh, showing some of the book's pages went viral. Now, I don't know who this guy Chris Primod is, but are we really basing articles around a podcast host posting a video i mean how many people are listening to this guy's podcast is it four people is it 200 people is it a billion people i mean just because you're a podcast host doesn't mean you have any sway on the culture or any influence it, I, I mean look at this look at me i host a podcast are you being swayed exactly Critics have argued the content is far too mature for its attended readership. Then this is a quote. Why is Big W selling this graphic sex guide for kids in Australia, which includes how-tos for anal and oral sex, masturbation, and heavily pushes gender ideology? Rachel Wong, Chief Executive of Women's Forum Australia, wrote on Twitter, sharing the video. 
I will say this. All those people are like uh, angry and upset that there is a book for children that tells them about sex. Now, look, I don't know, maybe like anal and oral might be a bit much for kids who are, you know, 10 years old or 8 years old. I'll accept that might be a bit young to be teaching kids about that stuff. So there is that argument. But I will say this. It's not like the kid is walking into Big W, picking up the book and being like, oh, here we are. I got to learn about anal today at Big W. That's not where kids are learning. No kid is walking into Big W, first of all. And then no kid is walking into Big W to go to the the book section, they're going, if they go into, if they accidentally walk into Big W, they're shoplifting chocolates. That's what they're doing. I wouldn't worry about these kids stumbling upon this sex guide. This is the idea behind the book, by the way, which I got to say is is also inherently flawed. The idea of the book is parents purchase the book for their child, who's aged usually around 10 to 15 years old. And then the parents uh, give the book to their child and say, hey, here's a book about sex for you to read and learn it from. Now, I don't know about you. I don't have children, but I do have parents. If my parents walked into my room at the age of 12 and said, oh, hello, Michael. Here is a book about sex. Um, Enjoy that. I think that would be the most awkward conversation of my life. I don't think... I, I. I can't imagine I would take the book and say, thank you, mother. I look forward to reading about anal sex tonight before I go to sleep. I can't imagine my mother doing that. I can't imagine me as a child finding that appropriate or feeling comfortable about that. Honestly, there's no way that parents can like teach their kids about sex in any appropriate or just comfortable manner that's why we like let just schools deal with sex ed and all that shit because parents are like i need some distance between me and teaching my child how to jerk himself off i need a bit of and obviously by the way kids do need to learn this of course kids need to learn this stuff what age they learn that is of course up for debate kids need to learn that i had a friend who used to uh, masturbate by um humping uh, his uh, a couch that's how he would masturbate. He humped the couch. He told me this. And the reason why he humped the couch, by the way, is not because he enjoyed it. It's because he didn't know how else, to, how else to masturbate. Because no one had given him a book, Welcome to Sex, when he was a child. So he did not know how to masturbate. So maybe in his case, that book might have been useful. But I just think in most cases, a parent giving a book a kid about sex, it's not going to be a comfortable experience it's not going to be something that the kids are thankful for so really ideally it's kind of dealt with at school at sex ed but then i also see the argument that you kind of do need to have resources like these available to parents because the alternative is that your kids are going to just google anal and they're going to see some stuff that's going to scar them for life. They're going to, I mean, that's why I think these conservatives are living in a, a bubble. Like, they're, they're idiots. Like, because the people who are saying, oh, this book isn't appropriate for their kids, they might, that might be true. But your kids are being exposed to far worse shit constantly. If your kid has an 
has a working internet connection, and I'm going to presume they do, if your child has a working internet connection, they've already seen the most heinous, vile shit you could possibly imagine. There is no innocence left to protect from your child. Every child is curious. They'll hear the word sex. They'll hear the word anal. They'll hear someone say in passing, two girls, one cup. They're going to Google it. It's going to come up, and they're going to see it eventually with their own eyes. So... I don't think that's a great outcome either. So maybe the maybe the book kind of does offer something for parents. They could be like, hey, please don't go on Pornhub. I know you're curious, but it's you're gonna die. If you if you look at it, you're gonna be traumatized forever and you'll never be able to enjoy sex again. So I don't really know what the solution is. All I will say here is that uh, kind of both sides are stupid and wrong. That's kind of my centrist view on this. The conservatives angry about this are just living in a bubble and they think they can protect their kids from being uh, from exposed to sexual ideas even though you walk past any billboard and there's just tits and dicks hanging out on every billboard trying to advertise perfume. You can't protect your kids from that. Equally, I understand that the parents want who are writing this book or or buying this book for their children. They want to educate their kids, but I'm also weary of the practicalities of trying to, you know, give a 10-year-old a book about how to scissor and just leaving that on their desk and hoping that does the trick. I guess my point is, it's hard to teach kids about sex. It's hard to bring it up without sounding like a fucking pedophile. So it's just a really, really tough situation for everyone but ultimately uh, both sides are wrong i am right and you cannot trust the dutch that is today's episode i hope you found it interesting perhaps even funny at times imagine that if you enjoyed it feel free to give it a nice review on spotify or apple wherever you're listening let people know about the podcast that's always handy come and see me live that would be good edinburgh london melbourne some other places zurich Zurich. I'm doing a show in Zurich, as I said at the start of the podcast, and it's a legitimate show, and it's certainly not an opportunity for me to have a tax-deductible holiday. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week with some more discussions of our culture wars.